Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you treasure each and every one of us. And even in all of creation and all of the glory and splendor that you've created around us, Lord, that you still choose us, your people, made in your image, Lord, you come after us. And I remember this last week, talking with my son who had lost part of his allowance somewhere in his room and being able to share that, that you, Father, just like the woman who's, who had a lost coin, comes after us and leaves the 99, comes looking for us, and comes after us because you cherish each and every one of your creations, Lord. I pray, Lord, that that message would resonate in our hearts today, that we would know that you are our God and that we were created to worship you this morning. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here and being part of this uh, community this morning. And, um, and online, it's good to see you as well. I, I hope I get to see you soon. Uh, wherever you're at, if you're in town here or up on a ski hill or in uh, Idaho or Minnesota or Texas, I'm not sure where you're at, but it's um, really blessed that you're, you're connecting with us online. And I, I pray that this will be a, a blessing this morning for you. Um, and those of you who might be new this morning, I also want to welcome you. Obviously, we're in the middle of a, a the continuation of 2020, and uh, it's, it's continuing. I don't think 2021 has hit yet. Uh, perhaps it will. Um, thank you for wearing masks in here. I appreciate that a lot, and uh, and we'll just we'll just keep doing that until it seems best that we can, so we can get more chairs in and welcome everybody back into the space. So, um, <clears throat> if. Uh, Let's see. So this morning we're going to be, oh, if you're new this morning, I just want to welcome you in a, in a way. There's a journal you probably have or were handed, a place to take some notes, and there's some information in there. talks about the week and what's going on uh, here at Epic Life and why we're doing what we're doing. And so I'd love it if you read that and then connect with us online as well. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple things I want to share with you. You guys know that there's a coffee shop opening in two weeks, and Justin and and uh, Christine and I and Joanna were over yesterday doing some touch-up painting and different things, and many of you have painted and, and been part of that, so thank you so much for doing that. And It's such a blessing over in the Oak Tree Village right over here, just a couple blocks away, and February 1st is the date for that, and uh, next Friday and Saturday, and maybe Sunday afternoon, depending on how far we get, we're going to welcome people to come in and clean. And we're just going to do a deep scrub every single corner and surface that we can find. We're going to clean that. And we need some people to do that. And I hear there might be the new brewer 
that is probably the best brewed coffee you'll ever have is going to be there and, and ready to serve some, some free coffee for us. So looking forward to that. And uh, wow, it's just, I hope you've been watching online and seeing the sneak peeks and some, some photos of what's happening there. I had, had a friend walk in and say, oh, this is going to be a high-end restaurant. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're not just throwing a couple things together. Uh, we're actually making this thing um, something that's going to be really the centerpiece of this community in a lot of ways. Um, I hope you know that. It's going to be a centerpiece of, of uh, Aurora and 105th. So, so good. I want to encourage you to pray for your president, your current president and the one that's coming up. And I'm just going to say a couple words with that and then pray for our leaders. Uh, there's a couple things in this that I think is incredibly idolatrous uh, for us as Christians. Last week I said, kind of went, went through a bit of a monologue, I know, but um, just, just reminding us as Christians, if we've linked ourselves to a political party of any kind, it is tantamount to linking ourselves to the Old Testament Asherah poles or Baals or um, worshiping and uh, a God who isn't the God of creation. And so I just want to encourage us not to link ourselves with a human structure, a human construction. Um, that will fail us almost 100% of the time, even if it seems like they're moving in the right direction. And so I just want to caution us to do that. But the scripture also calls us to pray for our president. And so 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Now, verse 2, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority are in authority so that you can live in peace and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And Paul was encouraging his people to pray for the, the leaders of the country. Not the spiritual leaders necessarily. He did encourage that. But, but the secular leaders. They were in Rome, a fascist country, a dictatorship, right? Uh, they didn't have many, much to say about the political um, bantering that was going on in the Senate at the time. And so, but he was just saying, pray for your spiritual leaders. Romans 13, if you want to do a further study on this, read Romans 13. Some people believe that Romans 13 was put in there afterwards to appease the Roman government. Um, I don't really believe that. I don't think Paul was that trite. I think that he uh, put that in there on purpose because we we see in First Timothy and a couple other places that we are to pray for our leaders. A couple things in this. If you haven't prayed for the past presidents, Trump or Obama or however far you can go back, because you don't like their political wherewithal, I want to encourage us as a church, as a people, to repent of that. We should have been praying for our presidents regardless of if we like them or like their, their political stance on things. As we should be stepping into Wednesday, I think, of the 20th, whenever that is here, and stepping into and praying for this upcoming president and uh, his cabinet. And so um, re repent, first of all, for not praying because there's a reason we aren't praying. Uh, and, then, um, and then get on your knees and pray for the president. As I was praying for, for Trump as well, I was praying that God would show himself and that Trump would give his life to Christ and be radically transformed and changed. Um, and I'll pray the same thing for Mr. Biden, uh, who will be our president and um, his staff and cabinet. And so uh, anyway, so let's pray. Father, 
I come to you and you alone because only you can change hearts and transform us as humans. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that you forgive me and forgive us as a church for not lifting up the leaders of our country uh, to you in prayer. Uh, and, and if we do pray, often you know we're praying destruction on them. And so I pray that we, I just... Please forgive us for not lifting our leaders up as you call us to do. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you'd be with our current president right now for three more days and that you would transform his heart, that he would give his life to you and be completely transformed as a person, as a man, as a father, and as a husband, and that his family would be transformed as well. I pray that this transition of a quote-unquote power, that this transition would be peaceful, Lord, and that, um, that there would be good that comes out of this for our country. I know that we are we're depending on people who are not Christ followers, and so we just pray that you would step in. I pray for our upcoming president as well, and his vice president and his cabinet, I pray, Lord, a, a, um, a blessing in the sense that you would bring peace inside of this uh, next four years, especially. I pray that you would bring a changed heart, a transformed heart, that he would also know you as Savior and his family as well, and that it would be a radical transformation. I pray against the powers that, that are here on our earth to destroy and kill and steal, uh, that they're, they're destroying us and everything we hear, everything we see, Lord, is, it's so hard for us to determine what's truthful or what's not right now um, when we look at media and what's being given to us. And so I just pray for incredible insight, incredible spiritual wisdom, as Ephesians calls us to do, that this wisdom and insight would flow out of us and the spirit that you've given to us so we can understand understand and see clearly, Lord. And so I, I ask, Lord, that now you'd be here this morning, that you'd be present this morning. I thank you that you are because your people are present. I thank you that you go across the barriers of, of space, of, uh, of, of this space in here and the walls around us and the video that we're, we're casting right now. I thank you that you go beyond that and your spirit links us together as a community of Christ. I thank you that we can be disciples of yours, that we can follow after you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you would speak. And if there is anything in this that you have had me prepare, if anything in it is my words or something selfishly that I think I need to say, I pray that you would eliminate that, delete it, and if I say it, that people wouldn't hear it. I pray that you would be speaking and that we would glorify you, and Lord, that this morning is pointing to you and you alone. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people will come to know you as Savior and not just stop there, but turn and become disciple makers as you called us to do. You're so, so good, and I thank you for this year that's ahead of us. God, thank you. I praise you. We do not take it for granted that we live in a country where we can freely preach your word, that we can speak and say um, what you're calling us to say, and we can share your gospel with people on the street without repercussions. May we not take that for granted. Praise you, Lord. You're so, so good. I pray that this year of 2021 would truly be a year of increase, growing in Christ together. In the name of Jesus, amen. What a privilege it is that we get to pray, right? We get to speak to God, our Father. How amazing and wonderful is that? And uh, I, I, I really hope that we don't take that for granted. There's a lot that I often think that... Um, my boys anyway at home around the table often I'm praying that we wouldn't take things for granted and I pray that we wouldn't as well here at Epic Life. <clears throat>
So we've been in the series of mentorship because we're pointing into February. And my goal on Sunday mornings is to point you to Jesus, not to me, not to the church, not to our, our mission, but point you to Jesus himself. Uh, under Jesus, that's where we're best uh, disciples of. And so we, we've got this series going this month, and we're talking about mentorship and discipleship and kind of squeezing everything into four weeks and understanding that the best mentors have a mentor. And uh, so like uh, we started with Moses, and he had Jethro speaking into his life, and then Moses was speaking into Joshua's life. And there was a mentorship, a discipleship kind of grouping going there. Um, and then uh, last week we talked about King David who had a mentor in his life. Uh, one was Nathan, uh, Nathan and then David was mentoring his own son Solomon. And we kind of saw what happens in the, the three chairs idea where the first generation are, are strong Christ followers and the next generation are a, a little weaker and are taking for granted the Christian faith that they have and they don't pass it on to the next generation very well, which happened with Solomon and his kids as they wreaked havoc on the kingdom of Israel and Jerusalem and Judah. And so, and so today and next week, today we're going to talk about Jesus, uh, the disciples actually, and um, their, their mentor, their leader, their, uh, if you want to parse it down to tiny words, I guess, when you're describing Jesus, but Jesus discipling the disciples and then them in turn uh, talking and discipling the church. Next week, uh, Hector is going to be sharing with us uh, about Paul, Barnabas, and Paul, and Timothy. Uh, so fantastic. And all of these have a little different nuances about discipleship and mentorship. Uh, mentorship um, points to discipleship, but does, does not actually replace disciple making, that there's another intentional step um, that we're going to. I am not attempting to get people to, to be like me. I'm not attempting to get people to um, be a disciple of me to be like me. I want to point people to Christ, to be like Christ, to imitate Christ. And even when Paul says in the scriptures, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ, what Paul was doing at, all the, at every point was pointing people back to Jesus, to imitate Jesus himself. Um, people are not my disciples as people are not your disciples. They are disciples of Christ. I am going to let people down a lot, all right? And so if people are trying to be like me, at some point, I'm going to let people down. As we see with leaders, like all the time, and as we see with pastors, all the time. Um, I have had many pastor friends and others that I know, but friends who, who have left the pastor space and that mentoring role because of infidelity and different things that you would be shocked about. We're going to let each other down. But Jesus will never let us down or forsake us, as the scripture says. He won't let us down, never will, and never will forsake us. And so we're disciples of Christ Jesus first. A disciple, a discipleship group then, as we're looking at forming discipleship groups, by the way, you're going to... We're going to talk about this in a little bit. Each of you got this, I hope. It says D groups on there, discipleship groups, which we're pointing to in February. And I want to help us understand what a discipleship group is. We think about discipleship group as one being super spiritual and three or four being not quite super spiritual and wanting to mature. When I'm thinking discipleship group, that's not what we're really thinking about. We're thinking about pointing people to Christ, becoming disciples of Jesus himself. So a discipleship group is a group of Christians becoming like Christ together. Oh, it's back here. Growing in Christ together. 
We're going to talk about this a little bit um, at the end here, why it's, why it's structured like that, growing in Christ together. So a discipleship group is a group of, of, of Christians becoming like Christ together with the goal, this goal of replication, that we're going we're gonna to be able to replicate this and, and grab others who want to grow and become like Christ. So we can grow alone or we can grow in community. You have an option there. You have options. We can grow alone or we can grow in community. Um, most of you know that I was in my high school and college days a wrestler. And in wrestling, there, something, something phenomenal happens when you're talking about growing alone or growing in community. You know, actually you can become a pretty strong wrestler by practicing alone. Uh, you, can, you can take uh, shadow shots against the wall. You can um, structure how you're going to take a sweep uh, around the, the ankle, a fake and sweep, or go in for a double leg, single leg, uh, fireman's carry, or something like that. And you can practice these moves so they become ingrained in your mind. And you can practice them without anybody else and actually get fairly good. But the fact is, a wrestler will only be mediocre until that wrestler practice with somebody else. One person, fantastic, a group of people, even better, because then you get different skill levels and you get different weights and you get different abilities and, and uh, um, opportunities to understand how these shadow moves that you're ingraining into your mind connect with somebody who is responding to you. A fantastic wrestler, an Olympic wrestler, will, will practice with multiple different people and actually find a couple who they really, really connect with and can teach them well. They'll have a coach, they'll have others that they're wrestling with. So we can grow alone in Christianity, in our Christ-likeness, in our discipleship before Christ, or we can grow in a community. And I'm encouraging us to grow together in a community. So we're going to go to Matthew 4, Matthew 28, Acts 2, and Philippians 3. Uh, and, and you know these, these messages have been kind of tagging some, some verses here and there and stories here and there. Um, and then in February, we're going to go ahead and tackle the book of Matthew. So here at the end of Matthew 4, um, verse 18, we have Jesus and his, uh, his beginning of discipleship. Uh, this is uh, Jesus' beginning, his ministry. He was just baptized uh, in the river. Uh, he just went out into the wilderness and was tempted by the enemy. And he comes back in. Um, and now he's going to start his discipleship. So one day, this is verse 18, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they were fishing for a living. If you guys, how many of you seen the, the series, TV series, The Chosen? Anybody? All right, if you haven't seen The Chosen, um, it, it's amazing. It's so, so good. I can't say it enough. Find it. Uh, watch the episodes. Pass it on to somebody else. It's hands down the best description of the disciples I have ever seen. It is so, so good. Um, and it, it makes me pause here just reading that first verse. Like, who were these disciples? Who were these men? Who were these men that Jesus went and said, I want you to follow me? And that's what he's going to say here. Well, they were fishermen. 
who probably were cantankerous at best, probably drinkers and probably um, kind of the scoundrel of the community. They'd go out and fish and they'd sit out there. They were probably deeply tanned and, and uh, their skin and they were probably or sunburnt all the time out on the water. They were pulling fish up, working hands that were, were scraped and bloodied and, and calloused and bruised and their bodies were bruised. And they probably had big beards that were just kind of growing because nobody went to the barbershop because to go fishing. How many of you have done some fishing up in Alaska? Anybody? Oh yes, Matthew has. You want to talk about some fishing and some rugged guys, right? Talk to Matthew about the rugged fishing. Deadliest catch, that would help us understand these guys a little bit. These guys were rugged individuals. And then they would engage, as, we're, as we'll see throughout the scripture, they'll engage with a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was the enemy of the fishermen. The, the fishermen would literally have to go to their... their um, their cousin, almost cousin Matthew, who was inside the Jewish faith, uh, religion, and, and, and paid taxes to Matthew, who was collecting taxes for the Roman. I mean, this guy was an enemy, an enemy, hated, viciously hated. In fact, I'm sure that these fishermen, if they could, take Matthew out on a boat and toss him overboard, because he probably didn't know how to swim anyway. They hated each other. And then you had others. You had Thomas who just kind of doubted about things and was always cautious about things and always questioning things. You had all of these characters that came into this story, this, this story that Jesus now is going to call people into. These are, these are um, wild guys. They weren't the Jewish leaders. They weren't the ones who knew everything by heart or probably even went to the synagogue often. So let's start over. Verse 18. One day... As Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the, sh the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them. To come. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. What a fantastic passage of understanding how Jesus calls people. People who are unworthy to be called, yet Jesus did it. This word, um, probably in your translation, whatever translation you're reading, uh, there's an exclamation point at the end of what Jesus says, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And that exc exclamation point is there on purpose. It was an exclamation. If you have a dog, not comparing the disciples to dogs, but maybe if you have a dog and he's sitting over there and you want that dog to come, you say, come. And if that dog disobeys you, you get louder and louder, exclamation point, come, come here, come, right? Start snapping your fingers. I don't think Jesus had to do that. I think they just turned and followed him. But this, this passage, this, these words, what Jesus is using are these words. It's a, a come with a, a, an exclamation point behind it. Follow me. In fact, the word is chase after me, run after me. Come follow me in such a way that you're pursuing me. Chase me. He probably wasn't running down the beach, but he was saying, chase me. Come with me. Come after me. And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. The word make is really cool. And if you want to, if you're taking notes, write the word make down. The word make is uh, about manufacturing something. 
when you manufacture something, you take something that isn't and you make it into something that you've designed in your head to become, or you have plans to get it to be this, right? And Jesus was saying, come after me, follow me, um, chase after me, and I will take what you are and make you into what I want you to be. Isn't that beautiful? Make manufacture. So Jesus becomes a disciple maker. He's not just finding some guys to be like him so that they can go around too and talk nice spiritual things and give their life on the cross necessarily. He wasn't setting up little Jesuses necessarily. They weren't becoming godlike, of course, but they were becoming disciples imitating Jesus himself. And he was making more than just people who imitated him, but then people who would uh, actually make other disciples, disciple makers. And so the word follow there is this, this, this command to chase after. And we see a different word. Um, if you go a little farther in verse 25 there, Jesus then is traveling throughout the region and a whole bunch of people are coming around him and follow him. Uh, verse 25, large crowds followed him wherever he went. Uh, that word follow is not chase after me. That word follow is not they were pursuing him and looking and, and wanting him. That word follow is more like just kind of um, fo- following along, accompanying him, walking next to him s- to see what was about to happen. Um, Jesus was calling the disciples to a different level of following, a pursuit, a life-changing level. Immediately, Jesus would start teaching the crowds. And in chapter 5 is what we're going to start studying in February, chapter 5 and on. Um, we see Jesus start teaching the crowd. So immediately he got these disciples, follow me, chase after me, become imitators of me, and I'll make you, I'll make you disciple makers, right? And then he started to teach them the word of God. And he started to present to them this new sayings or better or something better sayings than what were available and they started to learn about God learn about the spirit of God in their lives so Jesus would teach for three years these guys he would teach by example Uh, he would teach by words He, he would teach by spending time with them he would teach them by leaving them behind and going and spending time with the father and he would end up teaching them by giving his life for them So Jesus taught for years. In fact, to the very end of Matthew, the end of Jesus' teaching of his disciples. We all know these passages quite well, Matthew 28, verse 16. Uh, If you know anything about missions or you've been around the church long enough, you've read these passages over and over and over. I just want to bring out a couple things in here that are really beautiful nuances. So verse 16 of chapter 28, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some still doubted. Some still had questions. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Do you see the word in there? The word is make. Another word, make. And Jesus is is calling his disciples to do something. 
evangelicals for a long time. In fact, the church as a whole in America for a long time and then overseas. Overseas, things are different. Um, The church in America has been really good about evangelizing, bringing people to know Jesus as Savior, getting baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and joining a church. We've been good at that. Not so good right now, but over the decades of, of and, and centuries here, we've been pretty good about um, evangelizing. We have not been too great about disciple making, about this word disciple making. So if you look at that passage, it says, therefore, go make disciples of the nations. And in the Greek, it actually says, therefore, um, disciple the nations. That's what it actually says, is to disciple the nations. And so most of our translations, um, kind of rightly so, turn it into make disciples of the nations. But really what Jesus was saying was this, this term, disciple the nations, disciple them, make them into disciples of mine. Um, the making is what Jesus is calling his, his men to do, to do something, to, to now... Um, do to go and do to actually be active in what they were doing to help somebody progressive and so this word disciple right is is to help somebody progressively learn the word of god to become mature a mature disciple of christ to train in the scriptures and lifestyles of the scriptures and so this disciple is is a long-term thing it wasn't just a hey you're baptized good for you let's move on to the next person it was taking a person and discipling through the word of god actually using the word of God. At that time, they would use the Old Testament to disciple somebody to know about Jesus. And then they would listen to the apostles' teaching, as we're going to see. That's what discipleship is. And when we're talking about discipleship groups, my hope is that we, we actually start discipling one another, peer-to-peer discipleship under Christ, towards Christ, to progressively learn the word of God. Our, our manual or our strategy or our, our material for discipleship groups is going to be the Bible itself, the Bible and how to study the Bible, how to journal through the Bible. I'm going to share more of that with you over the next couple of weeks, but how to journal through the Bible to become more like Christ and then replicate it. We start and end with salvation as the American church way too often. And then we turn people and we say these words to them without really maybe saying them. We say, now what you should do What you have to do, because it's a command, you have to go out and do the same thing. And we get people out of the world and into this group and then send them back out to the world. And what happens is this revolving door of people coming in and people leaving and getting confused and never being discipled. Discipleship is a lifelong um, activity and it's transferable to the next generation. Philippians 3 Paul is writing to the church in in Philippi. Philippians 3, verse 12. uh, He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. And so Paul is speaking this righteousness to the church, and and he's saying that these things are are what we, how we should live as as, um, Christ followers and and, uh, people and faith under Christ. And in verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Remember, he would also say that I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And he would say that I I have a thorn in my flesh and I've prayed that God would remove it, yet God did not remove it uh, because his grace is sufficient for me. So Paul was not a 
perfect person. He was not Christ. He had sin in his life and things that antagonized him and things that he was working with. And so he's saying, as Paul, this man of God, he's saying, I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I do, what I do, I press on to per- possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. As you know, Christ would call Paul to follow him. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet. But I focus on this one thing, focus. Forgetting the past, and I look forward to what lies lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Paul is, is being devoted towards pressing on, devoted towards learning more, to being discipled more. So the disciples took what Jesus was saying and they took it literally and they started to make disciples. I think often, if not always, almost always, most Christians have never experienced a discipleship relationship. We maybe have experienced some mentoring and that's super great. But I doubt we've ever really, uh, often, often, we don't experience a real discipleship group. We have been in groups. We've been in small groups, and we've been in Bible studies, and we've been in book groups, and we've been in these different relationships. But have we ever experienced discipleship towards Christ by allowing the word to speak? So how did the disciples do that? Well, please go back to Acts chapter 2. This is how they did that. And again, we read this verse over and over and over. I know these verses aren't new to you, most likely, but, uh, but here in Acts 2.42, I'm going to point out one thing that I think we might gloss over often. And I'd love to start Acts 2.42, actually in verse 41. There's a break in your, your Bibles there uh, often, but I, th- I think the, the paragraph really begins in verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said as he stepped out and preached were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And we all shout, hallelujah, yes, that's awesome. And then we turn around and no discipleship happens. But this, that's not what happened here. 3,000 people gave their life to Christ and they made uh, baptism water super dirty because number one, they probably didn't take a lot of baths and number two, there's a lot of people going through baptism, right? Maybe they went down to the river. I don't know how that happened, but 3,000 of them were added to the church that day. Verse 42, all the believers, 3,000 people plus the 120 that were in the upper room and, and Peter and his crew, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals in preparing the Lord's Supper or and including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So write the word devoted down underneath make a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had in fact they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with all those in need they worshiped together at the temple every single day and they met in homes for the lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and great generosity all the while praising god enjoying the goodwill of all the people all the people and each day the lord continued to add to their fellowship those who were being saved the word in this that is so important is the word devoted they devoted themselves devoted the the greek word is beautiful i won't even try to um pronounce it but um 
But it's, it's a long word that really, really takes this devoted thing that we have a, a simple kind of concept of devoted because we don't understand what a contract is in America, for sure, or around the world. We don't understand how to be devoted to something. We, we kind of have this thing, I'm devoted to my sports team until they lose too many times or until I'm tired of them talking or whatever it is. I'm devoted to this person until. That's not devoted. Devoted is, is devoted, period, long haul. Um, consistently attending to someone with intense effort, like this intense movement devoted and pursuing someone. Actually, the, the word is broken up in two pieces. Um, the first part meaning uh, interactively towards. So it's an activity of our own towards what we're being devoted to. And the um, second part of that is to show a steadfast strength, prepare, prevailing in spite of difficulties, enduring no matter what, staying in a fixed direction no matter what comes at us. We are great at devoting ourselves to something until some hardship comes at us, right? We're great at devoting ourselves to God until we are like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Well, okay, forget you. I'll go somewhere else. If God is like that, then I'm not believing in God. What kind of statement is that, right? It, it speaks about our devotion, towards God, our pursuit of him, our understanding that he is greater than us, there's more happening. So we're staying in a fixed direction. And that's what these guys, these people were doing. These 3,000 people and more gathering daily. The, all the believers were devoting themselves. Can, can you honestly say somewhere in your life that you are super devoted? You know, I think I'm devoted to my wife. I think. I want to say I am. But I also know that I'm probably going to fail at that devotion at some point. Something will take my eyes, my gaze, my heart, and pull it. And I'll have to, re, I'll have to reconnect, move, align myself. We think we're devoted to things, but I don't think that we often are devoted these people were devoted together. We are devoted to sports teams. We're devoted maybe to kick a habit. We're devoted to our work. We're devoted to our family, our spouse. Uh, we're devoted to our school. Um, and we keep saying, you know, WSU, Washington State Cougars, like always, and have to get the colors in the coffee shop. And like devoted, not talking about anybody specific, Justin, but I'm talking, you know, people are devoted to things. You know, that just kind of happens as in this thing, right? Um, but I wonder if it's true devotion. Devotion, listen, devotion, true devotion, true pursuit, devotion finds what it's looking for. Huh. It's a pursuit. I think one of the best ways, I, I don't have this on a slide, but um, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it just gets finished talking about the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which we always have at every wedding, right? And then in 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, let love be your highest goal. Highest goal. And actually, that, that's a New Living Translation, and actually the word is pursue love with everything you have. Steadfastly pursue love. Let it be your highest goal. And uh, the wording is this beautiful word that talks about um, to hunt for it. 
So you have Jesus calling his disciples, chase after me, pursue me, hunt for me. You know, it's the same word that is used to describe persecution of the church. When the church is persecuted, it's being hunted by the enemy. The enemy is devoted to killing you. The enemy is devoted, is hunting, is chasing after, killing, destroying you and stealing. We can be devoted to Christ. Have you ever experienced authentic discipleship, intentional pointing towards Christ, like hitting the mark, like a, a person shooting an arrow and hitting the mark time after time and, and getting even more and more laser focused and splitting that arrow? Jeremiah 29, 13 and Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, if you seek me, you will find me. In fact, when you search with your entire being, you will find me. What were these guys devoted to? It's important to understand we are devoted to Christ, but what, is, what does this mean? What were, these, what were these people and their devotion, their, their discipleship to Christ, what was their devotion towards? So here it is, verse 42, all those believers devoted themselves, pursuing, chasing, hunting after, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So you can write the word teaching down. They devoted themselves to fellowship. You can write the word fellowship down. They devoted themselves to sharing meals. You can, you can write eating down. They devoted themselves to prayer. You can write prayer down. They devoted themselves to these four things. We can grow alone or we can grow in community. These four things are about community. They were growing together. They were growing in Christ, not alone. They were growing in Christ together. To be disciples of Christ, we really need to be growing together. Teaching. What is this teaching? So the apostles were teaching. They were, they were picking up the Old Testament scrolls and, and almost daily, it sounds like, they were going into the temple courts, taking a left and going over into Solomon's colonnade where there, uh, a couple thousand people could gather. And they were teaching from the, the Old Testament law about Jesus and presenting who Jesus was and why the Messiah had to come and why it makes sense to follow Jesus as the Messiah, repenting of our sins and turning to him for salvation. And they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the disciples, of the apostles. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. In our minds, we have fellowship as uh, apple pie and ice cream after the service. Or I, I think apple pie and ice cream, no matter when, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, fellowship is more than just apple pie and ice cream. There's something more going on there. There's this community happening, this connection in our spirit, in our soul, that I start to know somebody through fellowship, right? You go to somebody's house and there's a different level of knowing somebody when you enter their home and you sit at their table or their couch and you're talking with their kids or eating at the table or, or gathering around a, a table as a community of, of men and women. You, you have this fellowship that's going on. And then there's this breaking bread. Actually, the fellowship idea really isn't even about eating. It's about um, close proximity fellowship. Breaking bread is about eating together. 
like literally breaking bread together. Uh, some, some versions also have uh, in there, um, they also did the Lord's Supper. And the reason that's in there is because later in this passage, it talks about the Lord's Supper even more. And so breaking a bread throughout the New Testament is often um, the symbol of, of the Lord's Supper and communion together, but it's also a symbol of eating together, gathering around a table in community together, and then prayer and praying together. And the, the in, insinuation here is that they were praying together. Um, this idea of, of, uh, of companionship, companionship. You remember the first word, the first time the word companionship was used in the Bible? It was Genesis chapter two, when the woman was created. You know what she was called? She was called the helper and everybody's like, ah, helper. Um, but actually the word means companion. It means a person who walks alongside. He, she wasn't created as a servant. We would understand that differently. And so now when we hear helper, we think servant for some reason. It, that's not what it is. She was created as a companion because man was not meant to be alone but to be in companionship. The word companion comes from eating bread together. <laughs> That's what it means, to eat literal bread together, companion. The woman and the man were created to be together. You know where else the word companion is used or helper is used in the Bible more than being used as for speaking about a, a woman and a man? It's used all the time to understand what the Holy Spirit does in our life all the time. Same word. The same word that is described of a, of a woman is the same word that describes the Holy Spirit in our life. Is that not incredible? That the Holy Spirit is a helper, a companion with us together, walking side by side with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God is within us. So the question is, is why? Right? Right, Jason? Why? Why? Jason's been asking me this. Why? Why discipleship group? Why discipleship? Why did these people go into this devoted community together? Why? Because we need to know the why, don't we? Because most of us, even if we know the why, we're not going to do it. Why? It's not good enough anymore for us to say, because the Bible says so. And the Bible does say so. But that's not good enough for us. Why? The Bible actually commands us. Jesus is commanding his followers to go out and make and disciple the nations. So, but maybe a greater why for us is an intentional spiritual formation. You know, sometimes how, perhaps this is just me. I'll, I'll just talk about me. If it fills any gaps in for you, you can take it. This past fall, I was waking up in the morning going, man, thank you, God, for the life I have. It's such a blessing. I'd go down and grab some coffee and sit by the fireplace. And I kid you not, I get kind of giddy like a little kid. Like I'm sitting there by the fire, kind of like, oh, look what I get to be right here and read the Bible and, and journal through the Bible. This is so awesome. And I'd always like, God, I pray that I'll never take this for granted. I get to do this. But this fall, I was thinking, you know, I just feel like there's something like, I don't want to use the word missing, but missing. I feel like, I feel like I w I'm here, but I want to be, I want to be there. And I don't even, I couldn't even, 
really say it with words. Like, what is this thing? I want to, I want to be here, but I want to, I, I'm here, but I want to be here. And, and I feel like I've, I, whatever here is, right, I don't even know. I just feel like I just kind of feel mediocre right now. If you speak to leaders and business leaders, they're, they're like, well, let's get more sales done. Let's get more of this done. Let's get more of this done. Let's hop into this. And, and part of that's okay. But I'm kind of talking spiritually. I'm kind of talking my relationship with Christ and maybe even um, how the church is functioning as Epic Life and, and what we're doing. I just felt like, ah, I wonder if there is more. Maybe that's a better way to look at it. I wonder if there is more. I wonder if I can be even more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Has anybody ever asked those kind of weird questions? I do, I feel that. And, and it's not because I'm dissatisfied or, I'm, or I feel like I'm a failure or anything like that. It's just like, I wonder, Lord, am I hearing the Spirit of God well? Acting? So I think, I think part of it is the discipleship group is, is spiritual formation. You can literally join in the, tri in the activity of the triune God right now in what God is doing in his kingdom on earth. You can literally join in the movement of the triune God right now in what he's doing on the earth. It's good, it's exciting, it's full, it's fun, it's, it's generous, and it includes us. Uh, it, it includes leading others into an eternal salvation and beyond and being part of the kingdom of God, and it's miraculous. We can be part of that. Does that interest anybody except for me? I, I think it does. I think sometimes we as Christians go, is this it? <laughs> this is great. I'm not complaining, God. This is super good. But is this it? Or am I just kind of waiting till we die and go to heaven now? Is that what we're doing? Kind of spending our wills, making enough money so we can retire. And uh, I mean, for us, getting a little house on the beach and playing with sand in our toes. And... <laughs> Is that what we're waiting for? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God is like, listen, you can join me. Come! Chase after me, pursue me, pursue what I've got ahead in your life for you, but not just for you as my disciple. You can be in disciple, a spiritual formation that is full of what the triune God is doing in his kingdom right now. There's a reason that we do stuff like the coffee shop, like for North Seattle, like the giving room, um, like uh, a corporate prayer every other month, um, like house churches, uh, discipleship there's a reason we do this stuff and this for form, uh, spiritual formation and being able to step into the journey that God's given us to be part of. And there's just more. So I don't know, I really don't know how to tell you, get you excited about the why to be disciple, become part of a discipleship group. I don't know because my reasons might be different than yours. There might be something else stirring up in your own life that's different than me. And I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit is sharing that with you right now. Right now. Because if you're a Christ follower, that's what the Holy Spirit does. I don't want anybody to get into a discipleship group out of guilt or shame, but out of conviction, out of a desire to see what God could do in their life. 
and it needs to be intentional. You know, even in our intentionality as Christians, we're not very intentional. Growing in Christ together. Growing in Christ together. You know, when I think about doing things together, um, Ecclesiastes 4 comes to my mind all the time. As Solomon says, I observe yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? Is it all so meaningless and so depressing? You know what? Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. But somebody who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer and actually slay a lot, right? And then the next sentence is pretty cool. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And the nuance there is that three is even better. Being with more is even better. Having more fellowship with more people is even better in community. Growing, maturing, in, abiding, part of, Christ there is no other name and together in a community. So you have cards in front of you. And uh, I believe that D groups will make, will manufacture different people. All right. Uh, the Holy Spirit sees who you are and loves you the way you are, but wants more from you too. Wants, wants to create more in you not wants more from you, but wants to create more in you. And I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us as well and saying, hey, here's where you are, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. He goes, there's where you are. I'd love to make you into this. So we, we would just like to know who's interested. Online, there's going to be, this is going to be in the Slack channel or somewhere like that. So Slack, uh, I don't see Alyssa, so I'm guessing Slack channel. Uh, if you're not part of the Slack channel, please get involved in that. Um, but discipleship groups. We'll be introducing discipleship groups on January 31st, so two weeks from now. But beforehand, we want to just kind of start creating our D group pods. And we just want to know if you're interested. And if you're interested, uh, drop this off. We'll put them in on the shelf back there on the way out, or you can bring it in next week. Uh, we just need to know your name and email and kind of top three times or places in the day and week that really work for you. And we'll start kind of mixing and matching and, and help you get together. If you already have a few people, like this is my discipleship group, then fantastic. Let's go with that. We would just love to know so we can pray for you and encourage you and then help you on a path. And the, the goal with the discipleship groups is to make the curriculum the bible the bible the curriculum and uh, and then study through it journaling through it and we're going to share a way for you to journal through the bible as you're learning together um got it okay we're going to keep learning about this the next couple weeks please send me emails if you don't get it 
If you're going, well, how does this work? What does this mean? Um, we're, you know, I, I really think this can change some lives. Looking forward to it. Father God, thank you for being present in your spirit and speaking to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you speak you are what we heard today and your voice on our heart, the conviction in our heart is what we heard. I pray against shame and guilt. I just, Lord, cast that away. That's from the enemy. I pray for a convicted heart that drives, that pushes us forward to chase after you, to long after you, to pursue your remaking of us, that when we enter into disciple making, it would be about glorifying you and bringing people as disciples under you and then replicating that, allowing um, us to then share Share your, your love, your salvation, your gospel with people who don't know you. And may our D groups in, in six months to a year be full of people who don't even know you, who have just become Christians in the Lord, that, um, that you would just start doing a, a movement in those spaces, that we would understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ, that your word could teach us and rearrange us and help us pursue and chase after you, uh, but also being in companionship with one another. You're so, so good. You're a good, you're a good, good God. And I worship you because of that. I worship you, God. As we sing this last song, I pray that we can just offer in response to you a yes. Um, offer in a response to you saying, God, I will do, I will follow after you. And Lord, I pray for a concerted um, devotion a full, interactive devotion towards you. And Lord, I pray that we would see that that devotion doesn't get away in the way of our, um, our business life, our family life. In fact, it enhances our business life, family life, uh, um, um, community life, whatever it is. That, that pursuit of you, that devotion to you just enhances those and makes them more beautiful and, and nuanced and amazing and, and miraculous. And I pray that those things in our heart that's going, God, is this it? I pray that you would answer that this morning. Thank you, Lord. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.